there are a number of things about being a, uh, a Christian that I haven't yet figured out. And I have a hard time understanding exactly how Jesus can be fully God and fully human. I've had a hard time understanding the, the, uh, the, the way in which God created out of nothing. I have a hard time understanding why anyone would think that coming to church wearing a suit coat in the middle of summer was a good idea. So I'm going to do that. We'll take that off. It's one of the great theological questions of, the, of our times. One of the other things I really struggle to figure out, to get a handle on, is this whole idea of prayer. Do you ever have that feeling? You know, it, it seems like I, I just sort of understand it. I, I sort of get a handle on, on a, a facet of prayer, and then something else pops up, and I think, oh, man, I don't know what to do with that. And so I work on that part of it for a little while, and, and I feel like, okay, I think I've understood that significantly, and then something else pops up, and I think, oh, I didn't think about that. And it, and it feels like that you never get to the end of understanding this concept, lots of concepts, but particularly this concept of prayer. And I suspect that is because prayer is so tied in to the nature of God and the mystery of God and understanding the fullness of God. And it makes me realize that we'll probably never quite get to the end of it because then we would understand everything as God does. But even as we recognize that truth, we also recognize that God does teach us a lot about prayer. And the scriptures have a great deal to say about prayer and, and particularly about answers to prayer. I think that's one of the things that we wrestle with. Why does God answer? Why did God not answer this prayer? Or why did he answer that prayer that way? I'm not really understanding that. How It feels like God doesn't hear me. It feels like God doesn't respond to me. And we have these questions about prayer and the way God answers prayer. And, and I suspect there are very few people in the world, even people who don't make a claim about Jesus, who wrestle with this idea of prayer. Because there's something innate in us that believes that there is, there is a being that we can go to when we're in need. And Jesus talks a lot about prayer. And one of the places he addresses the idea of prayer is here in Luke chapter 18. Jesus uh, is telling another one of his stories, his parables. And Luke tells us right off the bat, this is what the story is about. Now, you have to wonder, it sort of feels like he may have ruined the story. It's like, it's like reading a novel and the first chapter says, okay, here's who did it at the end. Now you want to read the novel. Well, not really. I already know, right? But, it, but it's, a, it's a teaching moment. And so he says right up front, one day Jesus told his disciples a story, a parable, to show that they should always pray and never give up. And the question that keeps going around in my mind as I'm thinking about that is, how does the story show them that? How does this story, this parable that Jesus tells, help them and more importantly help us understand why we should always pray and not give up? Because it's kind of a strange story. 
particularly as Jesus tells it. The story is about a judge. Judges in the ancient culture have all the power. They have power to decide what's going to happen in a person's life. They have power to release someone to freedom or to imprison them or to crush them. They have a tremendous amount of power. And in this story, Jesus describes a judge that if I ever have to go to court and to stand in front of a judge, I hope it's not this guy. Because Jesus says he doesn't, he has no respect for God at all. Doesn't care a thing about God. God means nothing to him. If God is angry with them, with him, who cares? And he doesn't care a thing about people either. People don't like me. I don't care. I don't care a thing about people. I don't care about their problems. I don't care about their needs. I don't care about justice. I don't care about righteousness. I don't care about any of that stuff. I'm just thinking about myself. And I will make decisions based on what's best for me. Not what's best for people. Not what the law says. Not what is just or right. I don't care a thing about it. And if God judges me for that, well, he'll get over it because I don't care about him either. I mean, this is not the kind of judge you hope to appear before. It's an oddity. Some people would say that this could not be an Israelite judge because no judges in Israel would, would react would act this way. You go back to Exodus chapter 18 and Moses has a, has a, was visited by his father-in-law. And his father-in-law watches him hearing every case of every person among what? A million and a half, two million Israelites? And he says, you can't keep this up. You need, to, you need to have some people help you. And he says, you need to find some men who fear God and who are trustworthy. People who will not be bribed, who will make fair, righteous decisions. And that's what Moses does. That's what a judge in Israel is supposed to be. That's what a judge is supposed to be like. And Jesus paints a picture of a judge who is the exact opposite of that. But he also talks about a widow. Now, if you have at one extreme judges who have a tremendous amount of power, you have at the other extreme widows who are the most vulnerable adults in society. They are, they are people who are taken advantage of. They have little if few rights. They, in that culture, it would be very unusual for a widow to be able to own property. To, to be considered uh, a leader in the family, to make her own decisions. It was a very patriarchal society, and widows were at the far end of that culture. They were politely ignored. Jesus talks about the religious leaders who steal the homes of widows, who take everything they have. And the reason they do that is because, quite simply, they can. They can do it. They have power, the widows don't, and they can manipulate the system to take, their, take all of what they have. And so you have this widow who has, who's ignored and vulnerable coming to a judge who has power, but who cares nothing for her. And Jesus says in this story, the widow is seeking justice from her enemy. Somebody who is after her, her adversary, someone who's trying to take advantage of her. Take advantage of her situation. And he keeps coming to the judge to get justice. And the judge keeps saying, I don't care. 
Stop bothering me. I don't care. Get away from me. But she's driving him crazy. Every day he gets up. There she is standing outside of his door. Will you give me justice today? Will you give me justice? Will you give me justice? He walks to his office. Will you give me justice? Will you give me justice? He comes out for lunch. Will you give me justice? Will you give me justice? Goes home at night. Will you give me justice? He goes to bed, looks out the window. There she is, sitting on his front porch. Will you give me justice? I mean, she's relentless. And finally, he can't take it anymore. One translation says, this woman is driving me crazy, and I have, I'm going to give her what she wants. And it's not because I care about justice. It's not because I care about her. It's not because I care about God, because I don't. She's just driving me crazy, and I can't take it anymore. And, and the word that's translated in the NIV talks about her being, she may come and attack me. That word that's used there, it's, it's nuanced in other translations, but it, it has its history in the boxing ring. It is a word that describes someone who lands a punch and the result of that, which is often a black eye. And so he's saying, I'm getting sick and tired of this woman because she is giving me a black eye. She is bugging me, pestering me, driving me crazy. And I'm tired of being pummeled by her. I got bruises all over me. I'm not doing it anymore. And so he gives her justice. And Jesus says, be like the widow. Which is ironic enough because for Jesus to say, I want you as as my followers... Here's, who, here's whose behavior you, you pattern your life after, your prayer life. The most vulnerable, ignored person in all of society. And I can just see the disciples going, really? I mean, we don't like the judge, but we'd kind of rather be like the judge with power. No, you'd be like the widow. So we come back to the original question. How does this story accomplish Jesus's mission, his purpose of encouraging us to always pray and not give up. And the moral of the story must be, if you want to get what you want, you have to pester God until you get it. It makes me think of when I was small, sometimes when I wasn't so small. But I think this image in my mind after church on Sunday, my mom is talking to someone and I want her attention. I want to ask her something. Usually it had something to do with, can I go play with my friends? And she's engaged in a conversation. And I've been told very clearly, I know this, you don't interrupt. You can get in big trouble for interrupting. So I don't interrupt. So, but I really need an answer, like now. They're all waiting for me. So I don't really have time for this conversation. So what do you do? The next best thing. Mom, 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 Right? Either you've done it or it's been done to you, or both, right? And finally, she says, what? I didn't mean to interrupt, but can I go play? You know, yes, get out of here. I remember one time doing that to my mom, and she got so frustrated. She turned around, and she goes, what, 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 what? <laughs> Hit me on the shoulder, you know. Stop doing that. I'm not a pincushion. It, it makes me think of when I was little, my, I'd ask my dad if I could do something, and you know, I, it was one of those things that I thought, I don't know if he's going to say yes or no. I'm not quite sure what he thinks about this. And 
He grew up in Kentucky, and they have a phrase in Kentucky. I heard his mother say it many, many times. So I asked him, can I go do this with my friends? And he's sort of like, I don't really know if that's a good idea or not. And his response was, I reckon. And I remember the first time walking away thinking, did that mean yes or no? Because I'm not really sure. It sounds like yes, but it also sounds like no. And it's sort of this sense of God's, we best pester God long enough, and he says, I reckon. I don't really want to give it to you. I don't really think it's a good idea. But you're driving me crazy, so here you go. That seems like the moral of the story, right? No. That's not the moral of the story. I've heard people interpret that as the moral of the story. But that's not the moral of the story. It is not, Jesus is not saying, if you bug God long enough, if you pester God enough, he will give you what you want. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, look, if a, if a vulnerable, ignored widow has enough faith that she will keep coming to a judge who doesn't care a thing about her, To get what she believes is justice. How much more should we come to our Father who loves to do good things for us? God is not like all the gods of all the other nations around Israel who has to be cajoled And bribed and tricked and manipulated into giving good things to their people because they don't like their people. They don't want to have anything to do with their people. They're a nuisance. Their people are a nuisance. They're only good for serving them and doing things for them. Only Yahweh is the God who says, I love doing good things for you. I often will do good things for you before you even ask me. I love to do that. Can you believe that I am a God of love and grace and mercy and goodness and faithfulness? You can trust me. Actually, this this parable is trying to correct our skewed view of God. Because so often we live with a view of God that we have to force him to do good things for us. We do it subtly. We do it carefully. We try not to be too pagan about it. But we still think that way sometimes. If I just do enough of this, God will be good to me. If I go to church enough, if I read my Bible enough, if I give enough, these are all good things. All things that help us in our journey with Jesus. But we do them not so that God might look favorably upon us. We do them because God already looks favorably upon us. And, and the life of prayer that Jesus is describing here is intended to connect us with God. And to help us understand who God is. That he is who he says he is. It reminds us, it corrects this view, a skewed view of God. And it helps us to understand that from the very beginning, God's design for his people is flourishing. It's life. 
It's abundant life. It's joy. It's everything good that we could possibly imagine and a zillion times more. You look at the book of Genesis, the very first two chapters, when God creates everything, and particularly human beings, it says, go and multiply, flourish. That's why I created you in every single way. And when you get to the end of Revelation, chapters 21 and 22, and you get an image of the new heaven and the new earth, it is an image of flourishing. As Jesus comes and restores what God intended from the very beginning. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to flourish. But the only way we can flourish is in Him. In the one who created us. And who wants the very best for us. And so we keep coming to God with our our prayers, with our needs and our burdens and our struggles and life. Because we believe that's who God is. And it builds relationship with our creator. And that's why Jesus says, when he gets to the end of this story, when the Son of Man returns, when Jesus himself reappears, he's looking for this kind of faith. The kind of faith that says, I believe this is who God is so much so that I want to give everything about my life to him. And everything about my life, I bring to him because I know he is trustworthy and faithful and good. And I believe that when God doesn't answer answer prayers the way I want him to, it's because he sees my life in a way that I can't see it. When God answers prayer in a way that I wish he wouldn't, it's because God knows that my idea of what is best is temporal and limited and skewed. And his idea of best is flourishing and life and blessing. And sometimes to get to that, just like anything else in life, to get to what we hope to accomplish, there is a lot of pain and struggle and difficulty getting there. And it will mean sacrifice. It will mean trust, which is why Jesus keeps talking about faith. But we keep bringing our prayers to him. And actually, it's easy to look at a story like this and think, this is about one particular thing in my life that I keep bringing to God. And it may be that. But it's really bigger than that. It's really about life. It's about all of life. That all of life becomes sort of an act of prayer to God. That we, that we do it so much that our first response becomes prayer. That our, first, that our first reflex is to look to God. That that whatever happens throughout our day, the good and the bad, the joys and the sorrows, we are continually thinking about God in the midst of those things. It's particularly important when life is hard and difficult. In chapter 17, Jesus is talking about that day when he will return. He's talking about the time leading up to that. And and he describes it as a very tumultuous, turbulent, difficult time, and especially for his followers. Jesus is very clear to tell us, if you're one of his followers, be ready for difficulty. Be ready for opposition, struggle, pain, just like he goes through. 
And he says, in that day, it will get more and more intense. And you will feel crushed. And you will wonder, God, where are you? What are you doing? And then he says, now, let me tell you how to handle that. Always pray and don't give up. Always pray and don't give up. Keep bringing your life, your burdens, your struggles to God. And we do that because we believe God is who he says he is. He's good and merciful and loving and gracious and trustworthy and faithful and kind. And yes, and that he has a bigger image of life than we do. But that he always wants what is best for us. And the more we do that, there is sort of this the cyclical process, the more we keep, we keep trusting God with our lives, the more we see how trustworthy God is with our lives. And the more we understand how trustworthy God is with our lives, the more we trust him with our lives. And it just keeps going on and on and on. And here's the thing that I've learned through the years. People I've known, people I've read about, the great saints that I've ever known and ever read about were always people who prayed like this. They were the kind of people that the minute something happened, their first recourse was to pray. They might not have spoken a word out loud, but they were praying in their spirit. The first sign of difficulty, they prayed. Because they trusted God. They lived a life of persistence in bringing everything about life to Him. And they trust Him. And the more we do that, the more we find reasons to do that. It's really what this table reminds us of. I mean, this, this table... This table reminds us why we keep trusting God with our lives in prayer. Because at this table, we see the clearest evidence of the nature and the character of God. That He loves us so deeply and that He wants the very best for us that He would send His Son to die for us. To stand in our place and take what we deserved and build a bridge and to cleanse us and to set us free. This is the God that we keep trusting our lives to and never giving up. And this table is not just about what God has done. It's about what God has promised to do. When we eat and we drink, we are giving thanks for God's grace and faithfulness in the past. And we are, we are declaring our trust in God being faithful in the future. I have no idea what this morning you may be wrestling with. 
Maybe it's a burden in your life, maybe about somebody else. Maybe it's an answer to prayer that just isn't what you want it to be. Maybe it's just your life in general. But let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to to see who God is. And to hear Jesus' words that it is always, always good to pray and not give up. Father, we thank you for the promises you make us. And we ask that you will help us today to get a clearer image of who you are, your faithfulness, your goodness, and that we can trust you. Open our eyes. Help us to see. Give us a deeper want to. Father, this morning we pray your anointing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. We pray that it will be food for our souls. That it will will remind us of your faithfulness in the past. And inspire us to trust you about your faithfulness in the future. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.